Welcome to the Preacher's Podcast for Proper 17 in Year C. I thought of a proverb uh, that goes with this whole series we're in, the series called Hard Truth. Proverbs 27, wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. They came to my mind because we are following throughout this series our Savior Jesus as he makes his way toward his cross. And he has hard words for his disciples and for others he meets in the gospel selections that we are encountering in this series. Jesus ruffles people's feathers and he bruises people's egos. He sometimes, if we can put it this way, inflicts some wounds with his tough words. But these are wounds from a friend. Wounds from one who set his face like flint and walked the hard road to the cross and to suffering for us. Wounds from one who loves us profoundly and wants us to share in his crucified and risen life. So we are listening to these hard truths from Jesus, our friend and redeemer. So today we are thinking about the readings for the Sunday that falls on or between August 28th and September 3rd, which is proper 17 in year C. The theme tying the readings together this week is the humble will be exalted, the exalted will be humbled. I'm John Mitchell from Wisconsin Lutheran Seminary. Let's say hi to our preachers for this series. Pastor Ben Tomzak, who serves Bethel Lutheran Church in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And Pastor John Bergman, serving Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Downers Grove, Illinois. Ben and John, thanks again for being with us. Um, so the theme for this Sunday, the humble will be exalted, the exalted will be humbled, uh, a memorable chiasm, kind of like we had last week. Um, as Jesus puts that hard truth before us. Um, let's get right into the readings uh, for this Sunday. Uh, ben Tomzak, could you give us a quick summary of the scripture readings for today? Um, maybe especially the, the gospel and, uh, and the second reading? Sure thing, John. Thank you. Um, I definitely don't want to change the theme. I think the theme is good, but there's a key word uh, that attaches to that theme, and I think we can see it in, in all of our lessons, and that word was yourself. Right in verse 11, um, when Jesus talks about uh, exalting and humbling, he, he says, whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So that, what do you think about yourself? How do you handle yourself? That, that, that becomes a big part of our, our lessons today. And here in, in, in Luke, uh, these words in the chapter are immediately coming after our conversation from last week about the, the narrow door. And then Jesus weeps over Jerusalem. And now here he is uh, with a group of, of Pharisees on the Sabbath day, which is when things always go wrong. And he's, he's eating in a Pharisee's house. And he's going to tell this parable about not taking the high seat and not having banquets just for rich people. But before that, in the verses that are left out of the lectionary, he heals a man on the Sabbath again. And he confronts these Pharisees. Can we heal on the Sabbath? And there's silence. Would you help your son or your ox on the Sabbath? And there's silence. And that, that just tells us what these Pharisees thought of themselves. They, they no doubt considered themselves on that narrow way, getting through the narrow door, and they thought of themselves as belonging in the highest seats. And, and as I thought of that, I, I thought of myself and, and uh, something a teacher once said to us that one of the worst things that happens is when we add adjectives to our descriptions. We're not just Lutherans or Christians, we're confessional Lutherans. And, and that's starting to think about ourselves a little bit, because it's hard not to say that without Pride. Adjectives are a sure sign of this. So Jesus now turns to them and says, 
Um, let's look at this, this meal in which we're eating and these guests have picked places of honor and he wants to tell them a secret. Did you know that in the kingdom of God, God actually arranges the seating chart? And maybe you could let him do that. That's going to flow through our, our three lessons today, that God is arranging the seating. He's arranging you. I, I think there's something about vocation here in Luke and, and throughout the lessons we're going to want to think about. And then he turns to the host and says the same thing. Don't be hosting parties that are about exalting yourself by all the rich and famous people who come so that the paparazzi show up and you can post on your social media accounts your picture next to this famous guy or that famous guy, but rather set yourself up for eternal success. Bring in the poor and the needy, feed them, and he promises you'll be blessed. You don't even have to think about yourself. God has already thought about you and you'll be repaid at the resurrection. And then we get a concrete example of it in James. Um, Jesus uh, through his apostle, shows us what a life consumed with self looks like. It's favoring the rich over the poor, taking the high spot, loving the high spot, loving those we consider high and mighty, because secretly or not so secretly, that's all done for yourself. And here it's the socioeconomic example. And, and uh, think of how we treat people. Uh, to my own shame, I can tell you how many times a conversation changes when I identify someone at church I don't know as a member of the Wells. Suddenly it's a new and different conversation to, to my shame. And Jesus says, that's not really faith at all. He had said at the end of chapter one, religion that God loves is caring for widows and orphans and, and throwing away all the evil of this world. But we can't do it. We're so consumed with ourselves, we can't even be bothered to take care of small needs. So we get a big warning today about ourself and the danger that comes there. And Jesus says, you're going to kill others, which leads to your own death because you're breaking the entire law with this silly thing like inviting rich people to banquets and screwing around for the highest seats. You're focusing on yourself, which is exactly what our proverb is going to be talking about today too. All right. Yeah. Thank you, Ben, for setting that up so well and showing the relationship there between um, uh, Jesus' words, setting the context for us of the gospel. And then, yeah, that more concrete example then in the situation that James is addressing. Um, so our sermon text today is going to be uh, Proverbs, uh, the reading from Proverbs, um, Proverbs 25, verses 6 through 7a. Uh, close connection with the gospel, um, but I thought we'd do something a little different today, and what I wanted to do is um, just do a little bit on Proverbs in general, and then maybe some hints and tips for preaching Proverbs. Um, and depending on material here from uh, David Schmidt, uh, Dr. Schmidt is um, the head of the Practical Theology Department at Concordia Seminary in St. Louis. Um, he had written a nice article for Concordia Pulpit Resources a number of years ago, um, and uh, I contacted him and we're, we're using this material by his permission. Um, so first of all, here's how he defines a proverb. A proverb in scripture is a general truth arrived at from godly observation of experience that can direct future action when considered prayerfully in the fear of the Lord. And I'll just quick break down that definition a little bit. First of all, a proverb is a general truth. Uh, this is something you gather pretty quickly as you read through the book of Proverbs. Um, there might be competing truths um, that, seem, or that seem to be competing, that describe uh, related wisdom. It's almost the same. Of course, there's a famous example of this in Proverbs 26. Uh, don't answer a fool according to his folly. 
Uh, and then the next one is answer a fool according to his folly. Well, wisdom is knowing when to apply which proverb. But a, a proverb is a general truth arrived at from godly observation of experience. I think this is an interesting part of uh, Schmidt's definition. He says that when we deal with proverbs, we often want to jump to how will this tell me what to do in the future? And I'll get to that in a minute. That is a legit use of the proverb, of course. It is there to shape future action. Um, but it's also worth looking at when you look at a proverb, um, kind of reflecting on the past, how through my own experience, maybe we can see this truth borne out in the past. Or here we can look at um, Jesus' words in Luke. We can look at James chapter two. Um, we can see some of these playing out in different scriptural situations also. So don't only think to the future when you think of putting Proverbs to work. Also reflect on how they have proven true in the past. Uh, now, a proverb is a general truth arrived at from observation of experience that can direct future action. Um, so that is, of course, part of the purpose of Proverbs. Um, but think of them not only directing future action as here's a law that God wants you to follow, but think of future action in terms of living in grace, um, living in freedom. As I live in Christ, this new life that he has given me, um, how can God's intervening in my life with his grace shape my future action, and how can this proverb then direct it? So what I'm thinking here is it shapes future action, not just in terms of the law, but also in the context of the gospel. Um, and then, of course, the last part of that definition I mentioned, um, when considered prayerfully in the fear of the Lord, we know the key proverb, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So that kind of is at the foundation of our application uh, and understanding and meditation on the Proverbs in Scripture. Um, and then uh, just a, a couple of points um, that I found useful as you are uh, meditating on a scriptural proverb or as you are putting together a sermon on a proverb. Um, here are five points uh, that David Schmidt lists that I'll, I'll just mention and, and unpack just a little bit. Then we'll get into our text. Um, specifically. Um, suggestion number one is uh, determine the proverb's intended meaning. Um, and that seems obvious, of course, a place to begin. You got to figure out what the proverb means, but don't assume that the basic meaning is understood. Um, an example that David Schmidt gives is the proverb, uh, better a meal with vegetables and love than a fatted calf with hatred. Um, this is not like a pro-vegetarian proverb, you know, better a meal with vegetables and love. So you got to think about it a little bit. A meal with vegetables um, in biblical times would have been uh, the meal of someone with a very modest way of life, whereas a meal of a fatted calf is someone with great wealth. So he's saying, that, you know, if given a choice, you might have a home filled with love, with modest financial resources, uh, that may be way better than a home of great wealth where there's uh, that love missing. Um, so don't take for granted that the meaning of the proverb is obvious, but determine its intended meaning. Uh, second point, he says, is use a proverb to reflect on past experience. I mentioned that already in his definition of a proverb. But um, you, you may 
think of a time in life when this particular proverb proved true, or you saw how the truth of it was borne out in your own experience, or lead listeners to think about that and reflect on that. Point three, I think this is especially helpful, test the limits of the proverb. Um, As we said in our definition of proverbs, not every proverb applies or is meant to apply in every single situation. So, uh, and this is, I've experienced too, I I taught a Bible class on Proverbs, I remember uh, many years ago, and I was surprised at how kind of ticked off sometimes people would get at Proverbs because we'd read a proverb and I was thinking, oh, this is so cool. But immediately people would go to, well, I can think of a time when that would be a bad idea, a horrible idea to follow that. Well, I would say, yeah, that's true. We need to figure out when to apply this and what the limits of this proverb may be. So I think it's good to acknowledge that, that, okay, what we're talking about here, it's not just a truth to put into practice anytime, anywhere, but godly wisdom is us talking about it, reflecting on it, and seeing where and when to apply this proverb. But acknowledging the, the so, if we can put it this way, the limits of the proverb might be good to do. Uh, point four, um, place the proverb in the context of salvation. Um, so, we're reflecting on these Proverbs, not in a vacuum, but as people that God has brought to new life in Christ. And so that is going to shape our reflection on this. Therefore, we won't view them simply as laws to be followed or good principles to be honored, but rather we are seeing them as a loving God um, shaping our lives as his disciples through these Proverbs um, with his grace at the center of everything. And then finally, prayerfully consider the proverb for future guidance. Of course, this is going to guide our lives, but maybe just a caution, don't just skip to that part. Um, Don't just say, here's a proverb, and here's what it tells you you're supposed to do in the future. Go back to these other points that I've made, uh, too, and let them flesh out our meditation on a proverb. So just to recap those five points, determine the proverb's intended meaning. Two, use the proverb to reflect on past experience. Three, test and explore the limits of the proverb. Four, place the proverb in the context of salvation. And five, prayerfully consider the proverb for future guidance. All right, well, I've talked a lot here. Let's get to our text itself. John Bergman, could you take us then to our particular proverb, Proverbs chapter 25, and get us thinking about preaching this text? Yes, uh, thanks, John, and I really appreciate uh, your intro there. It, it helps us uh, to get a little bit deeper. Um, one of the dangers that, that can happen for us is to quickly read this proverb and skim off just an external little life hack or life advice for something when there's really a much deeper spiritual application here. Uh, The the words read pretty simply in Proverbs 25, 6, and and 7. There's not a lot of words, a lot of necessarily deep exegesis. You know, do not exalt yourself in the presence of of the king and and, and, in the presence of great people. Do not stand, it says. It's better that he would say to you, come up here. And and the danger could be we just read that or our hearers hear that and think, okay, this is just some courtly etiquette. Maybe the take-home application is don't embarrass yourself in a social situation. Teenagers don't just go sit at the cool person's table in the cafeteria. We don't want you to be embarrassed. Um, But it goes a lot deeper than that once we really start to reflect on it and dig into it. Um, 
there are shocking things here. They just don't always seem shocking at first read. First of all, do not exalt yourself in the presence of a king. We can fly right past that one. In the ancient world, that would be uh, unheard of. <laughs> you exalt yourself in the presence of a king, that might be the end of your life. You think about what care Esther took uh, before she would bring up her concerns in the presence of a king uh, that she was married to. So for the ancient readers, they would have heard things like that and going, well, of course, that's a bad deal. We might fly over that a little bit more, but that's kind of a shocking thing. I, I think the bigger shocking thing is the, the, the malady here, if we can even kind of get into that a little bit, what we're looking at is pride and arrogance. And these are things that our, our culture doesn't necessarily see as, as shocking necessarily. We're, we're taught to exalt ourselves in, in a sense, to, to put ourselves in where the place we need to go to do what we can to get our our likes, our followers, our, our votes, our admiration from others. So that, that sin itself of pride doesn't necessarily seem as shocking maybe in our culture. But then secondly, um, that sin of pride doesn't always seem so shocking in ourselves. And, and this is what I mean by that. It's so easy for me to tell you all kinds of examples of pride in other people's lives. It's so hard for me to see it in myself. It can just be so blinding. And I think that's one of the urgent warning calls here of this text in our readings today is God says, this is a dangerous sin and it's a sin that you might not always see yourself. So wisdom is gonna call for you to reflect upon this and see where it's at in your own heart and in your own life. Those are just a few thoughts maybe to get us going and I'll, I'll throw it back to you guys. No, thank you, John, for getting us thinking about this and about, um, yeah, kind of the, the spiritual issue that uh, this proverb is pinpointing. Um, yeah, so the malady, pride, something that, uh, yeah, we can all agree the concept is bad, sinful, selfish pride. Um, of course, you know, it, it's just kind of common knowledge. Yeah, it's probably good to be humble and, uh, and not great to be full of yourself. But right, when the rubber meets the road in our lives, uh, yeah, you're right. I think it, it's, it's hard to see when we are falling into this sin. Um, and uh, yeah, it just kind of blinds us. Um, further thoughts on how you uh, would address the, the malady in this text or... Um, how you might relate it back to uh, the gospel or to the reading from James um, to bring out some practical applications. I like the ones you've already suggested, John. Any further ideas on uh, bringing out the dangers of pride or sins of pride or the damage that can be done? Or maybe yeah, well, go, not just the results, but the causes, the root causes of, of them? Sure, and I'll, I'll let... Uh... Ben chime in here in a moment. I just, one of the ironies is there are some in our, our audience who will pride themselves on how humble they are. <laughs> it just sounds ironic, doesn't it? You know, because they, they know not to embarrass, or they think at least, they know not to embarrass themselves in social situations. So again, that just shows how blinding pride is. And I know as pastors, we're, we're encouraged, obviously, to preach to ourselves first. And so as I was reflecting upon this text, just from my own heart, in mind, obviously, not all these applications and maladies are going to apply to the people in the pew, but I think, how do we do this as pastors? Um, it can be, it starts 
in our schooling sometimes, right? We, we can size each other up in college, at the seminary, whether we want to admit it or not, at, at the circuit meeting, the pastor's conference, the symposium. Um, it's so easy to start to size up. Where do I fit in with these guys? Uh, we read the call list. Why did he get that call? Why didn't I get that call? I mean, we, we don't say these things out loud, probably, but our sinful nature thinks these things. Or at the end of a service, how many times, you know, Lord, forgive me, but I, I walked away from the, the service or the sermon kind of worried and wondering what will they think of me or what did they think of me instead of what will they think of him, the king. And so it just kind of struck me if, if the roots of pride are so ugly and deep in my heart, <laughs> I bet they're that deep in the hearts of, of our hearers too. So God help me. As we start to unpack and reflect, we see this goes pretty deep underneath the surface. Yeah. Ben, uh, any, any uh, thoughts to, as you reflect on that? I like what uh, John said earlier that pride is diagnosed everywhere, but in my own heart, which is pretty true. Like everything's a sin until it's my kid doing it. You know, um, Andrew Steinman in his commentary on Proverbs had a little line. He called this kind of behavior unseemly. You just, this is kissing up. This is Brown nosing or, or, or like, you know, it's just the guy who just keeps on inserting himself. And, and when he said that, it, it reminded me, yeah, we hate when people do this, but uh, I just mostly hate that someone else doing it. You know, it, this is behavior that everybody does and nobody likes to see it done. But we just got to, but I got to do, I got a really good reason for it. Um, and, and I think as we're diving deeper into so what's the big problem here, other than just being kind of a horse's patoot, um, well, one of the things is the things you're boasting about aren't really that big a deal usually. That's what Jesus teaches us later in Luke, right? Everything you're so proud of, you've only really done your duty anyways. So why are you exalting yourself? But it gets even worse, I think, um, in the, con the immediate context. Jesus has just preached about the narrow door, and he's telling these Pharisees and us, as you pick the high seat, as you prepare these feasts where you can be lauded for being the social um, you know, social leader of the town, you're raising yourself up so high and you're making yourself so big, you'll never get in the narrow door. You don't understand that you're removing yourself from the kingdom um, because you're not interested in anything other than being great. You're not interested in being faithful. And James points out then, don't you realize that the great tend to be corrupt and they're working for their own benefit? So this gets to be where you're damaging and destroying your own faith. And, and we, we can see it in this time of year too. Um, so we're transitioning from summer into school year, right? Uh, so maybe summer schedules are changing. Um, I don't know, <laughs> I mean, if we're ever going to end this pandemic business, but think of some of the things you can start to think about yourself. Um, I went to church all summer. How about you guys? I didn't see you or you were camping all summer long. Where were you? I enrolled my kid in our Christian school. Where's your kid? Um, we now go back to John talked about all our own personal pastoral problems. Well, I never stopped having services for COVID. How about you? Hear the pronoun? I, 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 I. Um, we become obsessed with ourselves again. And it just, before we know, we're not even in the kingdom. We think we're talking to the king. It turns out we aren't even, he's not even listening to us anymore. He said it last week. I don't know you or where you're from. Oh. And that's the great danger here. Yeah, it can be spiritually disastrous, finally. Uh, those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Um, and so, uh, right, it, it's more than 
it is unseemly, uh, absolutely. But yeah, even more dangerous than that in a spiritual sense, as we exalt ourselves and uh, the picture becomes so full of us that where has the Lord gone? He's been kind of shunted off to the side um, or down below us somewhere uh, because we've inserted ourselves to that degree. Then uh, what would be um, a natural way from this text then to uh, proclaim the gospel and to center this in Christ? Um I mean, some ways are coming to my mind. I think, uh, John, Ben, your ideas for then a gospel proclamation that um, is is comes across in terms of the text or with the imagery put forward uh, by this proverb. I, I think the uh, we have an opportunity there as we get into verse seven. You know that it, it's better for the king uh, that that he would say to you, "Come up here." And uh, again, we're, we're so separated in our culture from these royal court scenes that, that can just glance over. But what an absolute thrill of a lifetime. You know, if, if you visited, if you were a British citizen, let's just say, and, and the Queen of England personally asked you to come up or you were in a, a monarchy and the king said to you personally, come up here. Uh, that that would be something you never forget. But but now how much more, right? Who is the king ultimately of all? It's God. And, and there's no reason he should have anything to do with us but humble us forever because of our pride. But through Christ, Christ becomes humbled, of course. Christ takes the last place. Um, and through that sacrifice and life and death and resurrection, now the king reaches out to me and says, come, come come into my presence without fear and come leave behind all your lame scurrying to try to justify yourself and try to make yourself find your worth in yourself which is finally what pride does and fails so miserably i always end up in despair leave that despair and come to find the worth that only i can bring to you and i, I freely give you oh great yeah come up here isn't that a, a a beautiful statement and uh, yeah, framing it in terms of Jesus humbling himself, which results in our being lifted up and exalted. Um, ben, do you want to echo any of those uh, gospel thoughts or, or add, add a new dimension to that? Yeah, John, John ran right where I thought of Philippians two, you know, there's, there's your, you know, your contrast to my behavior to, to God himself. Um, we can think of John the Baptist what did he always say when he got a chance to talk to the king? He always talked about the king. I got to tell you about Jesus and how great he is. And, and I think what we can offer, I, I think this is still gospel um, where you can tell these people, you don't need to think of yourself all the time because God already thinks about you. I remember something, Professor Deutschlander, I don't know if he wrote it, said it, whatever, but he kind of talked about how God has arranged everything, all of history. He's put you exactly where you are doing what you're doing. And he's arranged that all of your life to give Jesus to you today, to baptize you, to deliver the body and blood of Christ to you. So why are you trying to lift yourself into some other place? You're, ex you're in the exact place God needs you to be, whether it's him humbling you because maybe you got too big for your britches, so he's knocked you down a few pegs, or raising you up with promotions and and gifts and talents. So now you're the circuit pastor, district president, you're the CEO of your company. God has done all of that. 
even as you write your own resume, which is actually something I wonder if we, we talk about briefly, is it possible for a Christian to write their own resume now you know, based on this advice? But, but God is doing all of that and he's done it in Christ. So that regardless of your rank of what another thing, what some king thinks about you, the narrow path has been prepared for you by Christ and he's put you on it and put you through the door. So you don't have to hustle around um, tooting your own horn despite the world saying you, but if you don't talk about yourself, who will? God will. Yeah, excellent thoughts. Um, your, your comment about, is it okay for a Christian to write his or her own resume? Um, that might be an interesting uh, interesting thought to explore. And that, I think of it in, in connection with those hints for preaching Proverbs I mentioned before. One of them is explore the limits, test the limits of a proverb. So, uh, yeah, what what if our listeners come away from this saying, um, you know, when the boss says, "Who would who would be good for this position?" Is it okay to say, "Well, I think I I'm well qualified for that." Um, is it okay to to be honest on a resume and say, "Here are my accomplishments." Um, here, uh, you know, kind of that um, self promotion, um, self marketing. Um, I think there would be cases in which a Christian could certainly do something like that in good conscience, because you are recognizing that, um, well, everything I have, I've been given by the Lord. I, I've been given gifts, talents, opportunities, as you said, Ben, echoing uh, Professor Deutschlander. Um, yeah, he's put me in this position. I can recognize that um, I have opportunities to serve. I can say I have uh, abilities to serve um, without being self-centered about that, but rather knowing in my heart, um, I have this only because my God is good and gracious and because he has poured out blessing after blessing on me. And he's put me in this put me in this position where I have the opportunity to, to put his gifts to work and to honor him. Um, right. So I think that that might be good to clarify as you're helping people to meditate on a message like this. Um, yeah. And it is more, uh, also about, uh, more than just, yeah, these surface applications, we really want to drill down um, into, yeah, where's our heart at? Where, how do I see myself um, as living under God as his creature, or in some sense, trying to live alongside him as his equal, or maybe even above him uh, and kind of bumping him down and out of the picture? Um, that, that's kind of the real issue. So I think a Christian could very, in very good conscience, um, be confident in the gifts that God has given uh, and, and acknowledge those and serve accordingly um, while still keeping in mind the vital spiritual truths of the proverb. Uh, ben? Yeah, and that's where I mentioned it in the introduction. I think there's something about vocation in this section that we could yeah. talk about as an application that yeah. um, you know Luther talks about in the catechism, do what your office calls you to do. If you're the king's right-hand man, then obviously you sit in the right-hand spot. You don't this text isn't calling us to, you know, to a life of degradation and, and throwing off all offices. If, if you're a pastor, act like a pastor. Uh, just, you don't have to be a dink about it. You know, like John, you talked about, you don't have to exalt, there's the word, exalt yourself. No, you are the chief of staff and to whom much is given, much is expected. So, you know, but at the same time, acknowledging um, that's coming from God, I don't need anyone or anything else to be affirmed in my identity or office. And if he chooses to give me more, or to take away, like Job says, so be it. If he raises me up, so be it. 
if I stay where I am, so be it. If he lowers me down, so be it. And I will serve there well. Um, so I think that could be a way we go to see the, the broader spiritual connection here. Vocation is, is a little bit in view. Yeah, yeah. thank you. Yeah. John? Yeah, I appreciate those thoughts, Ben, because, yeah, I, I think two ditches here could be well, spiritually dangerous, either right, I exalt myself with such pride, I, I shove God out, or we people hear that uh, encouragement to be humble, and they think being humble means I rip myself down, I tear myself down, I'm in despair over what a failure I am. That's humility. No, no, that's not at all. <laughs> that's not what we're talking about either that God is calling us to do. So I appreciate that balance there that um, finally in my vocation by the blood of Jesus, I am exalted every day <laughs> um, and in him, not in me, in, in him. Yeah. 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 Again, centering our identity in Christ in the gifts of grace that he has given and continues to give. Um, rejoicing in those gifts, living them out. Yeah, that's not sinful pride. In fact, that is a, 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 that's a, a godly ordering of the, uh, the gifts that he has provided to us and the opportunities that he's provided to us and our various vocations to use them. Yeah, yeah. I think that's, that's helpful. Um, yeah, John, you used uh, the word before, uh, reflect, or maybe we've all used it at this point. Um, but I think preaching on a proverb kind of invites that, doesn't it? The proverbs themselves uh, themselves invite reflection. Um, so we, it's this little tiny text. It's two verses long. It's, it's not a big narrative you have to unpack or uh, a large epistle section with all kinds of different interconnected thoughts. It's pretty simple, but the intention of a proverb is we stop, we think about it, we reflect on how we've seen this uh, played out. We connect it with other spiritual truths as we've been doing. Uh, we find uh, what the, the point Jesus is making um, in Luke. We connect it to Proverbs 25. We play this out in our lives. And I think um, maybe a sermon on this text could it might be a good word to keep in mind, helping listeners to reflect on the truths that are here that the spirit is putting in front of us um, and kind of playing them out in our minds. Um, any, any suggestions for uh, a theme kind of tying this together, uh, our proclamation, our leading people in meditation and reflection on this together, um, anything you're thinking of, possibly even in rough form, theme ideas, John? Yeah, just kind of played off that exalt and humble idea, you know, that not a, necessarily a full developed theme in parts, but just the idea that if you exalt, your, exalt yourself in the ways of the world and you will be humbled forever, um, humble yourself in the ways of the Lord and you will be exalted forever. Um, you know, there's, there's kind of a contrast there, or, or be humbled now in, in God and be exalted in him forever. You know, there, there's kind of a, almost a contrast there. Where, where does the humility and exaltation come from? And answering those questions is going to be key for my spiritual life forever. Great. Yeah. Yeah. So kidding those, yeah, using the, um, the words of Jesus that I think certainly reflect this proverb and, and one connects with the other being humbled, being exalted. Um, yeah. Any other ideas for, communicating this text, not necessarily themes, but just suggestions for preachers as they um, preach on this proverb? Anything come to mind? Um, uh, maybe just to connect it using the language of Proverbs, but then 
you can't help but think, did Jesus have this parable in mind when he's telling or this verse in mind in his parable? Yeah. Maybe the heavenly king calls you up. Mm-hmm. Now, that action that God is, is, is arranging all of it. I had a bunch that were like that, you know, Jesus writes your resume. Uh, God arranges the seats. Let God seat you. They're all kind of dippy. But, you know, the heavenly king calls you. I don't I'm not shooting for corny here, but that language come up here. And John, you were talking about that, that that's the striking gospel connection in Proverbs itself. The king will call you forward. And, and we hear Jesus say, and he does. <laughs> he actually does call you forward. But, so maybe something like that. that that's what I'm kind of as I'm looking at my notes. That's the one that sits with me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and we think of that in terms of just, uh, you know, justification that God honors us with this this new status. And, and I'm kind of thinking of that justification, broadly speaking, the gospel promises that exalt us uh, through the grace given to us. Um, but as you mentioned, Ben, also this plays itself out every day, uh, how God gives us these places and opportunities to serve in our various vocations, what honor he gives us to do meaningful uh, things um, as his people, uh, yeah, all under the the umbrella of of the grace that he gives to us, uh, that it lifts us up and exalts us. All right, well, uh, hopefully this has given some preachers some food for thought, kind of a, a different approach today because of the, the different nature of our text, this verse from Proverbs 25, um, or the two verses. Uh, but hopefully preachers will have uh, some good things to chew on as they proceed now in crafting their sermon and bringing this beautiful truth to God's people. So God bless you preachers as you proclaim the word of grace to your people.